In less than two decades, Google has become one of the most important and talked about companies of our lifetime, upending the way that we have lived and worked traditionally. It's also changed the lives of a number of forward-thinking and astute investors who were brave enough to get in at its IPO in 2004. Google's share has returned in excess of 2,000% since then. Yet despite its appreciation, a massive appreciation, I would say, many investors still find a place for Alphabet, its, its parent company, in their portfolios. And amongst those investors, Coronation is one. My name is Kirshni Tocharam, Global Head of Institutional Business at Coronation. And with me here today is one of Coronation's global analysts, Humera Serve, and she's here to talk through the investment case on Alphabet. Welcome, Humera. Question from my side is that we all know Google, and a couple of years ago we had the listing of Alphabet, its parent company. Can you maybe just give me two lines for the, for the audience that doesn't have any insight as to why would you do this? So... As you said, a lot of us are familiar with Google and its search engine business. But while Google has been growing, it's been investing in many small other opportunities. And by listing Alphabet, they restructured the business into the core Google business, as well as several other smaller businesses. And part of the reason was to hold these smaller businesses to account for um, their growth. Sounds good. It makes sense. And, and maybe one day, you know, five years or, or 10 years into the future, one or two of those smaller businesses become household names in, in the same way that Google has. But, but let's talk about the, the investment case that you, you've written. And amongst them, you referred to a, a YouTube as a, a good growth opportunity. And in fact, you referred to it as one of its hidden assets. Uh, but, but YouTube is a household name. Uh, my kids at age three and four, um, had already heard about YouTube. Uh, I think it has, 1.5 billion logged in users, uh, a billion hours of viewing per day across the globe. Uh, that doesn't seem very hidden to me. So, so talk me through why you call it a hidden asset and where you think its value add to Alphabet's investment case is going forward. So YouTube has an incredible opportunity ahead of it. I think the best way for me to contextualize it is to maybe just describe the revenue pool that it uh, has the opportunity to attack. And basically, YouTube is taking share from traditional TV advertising, which is a $178 billion market annually. And uh, YouTube is the leading online video platform. Online video currently generates just over $20 billion of revenue. So that's just 13% of the long-term opportunity. And then within this, I think it's important to think about Google's position and um, why I think it has a good chance of taking a lot of share from this TV advertising pool. So the network effects in online video are incredible. Basically, um, what I mean by network effects are the more content creators you have, um, the more it attracts viewers, and the more viewers you have, the more content creators are attracted. Um, and that's because these content creators build up pools of subscribers and earn a share of the revenue that is generated when adverts are shown next to content. This network effect positions uh, YouTube very well for, for growth long term. And then in terms of how Google will go about growing its revenue, it's actually been very careful about how it monetizes the, the opportunity. The ad loads are a lot lower than Facebook's, for example. And if you consider it in conjunction with the search business, there's actually an opportunity to cross-sell between the two. So Google already has a huge base of search advertisers. Now you tell them, 
oh, um, to say you're talking to Procter and Gamble, who's maybe advertising on search. Hey, there's another opportunity for you to grow your brand. You know, it's it's a great cross sell opportunity. Okay, so we talked about YouTube. Google Play is an, another business that offers great uh, potential and opportunity. Can can you walk through the, just some of the the, the growth drivers uh, for that venture? Google Play has been around a long time, so what I'm trying to understand is how much of it has been monetized and 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 the runway is still left. So the two key growth drivers are average revenue per user and the number of users. So Google Play has historically been bundled with the Android operating system, and that's the predominant operating system on popular phones in emerging markets. So what this means is that as mobile penetration grows in emerging markets, so does usage of Android, and as a result, Google Play as well. So that provides a really nice tailwind to usage of, of apps for Google Play over the long term. And then the other question is about ARPU. And in terms of ARPU, I mean, just think about your average day and how often you use apps. I don't know about you, but recently I downloaded a yoga app. I use that in the morning. On my way to work, I use my music app and listen to music. I think people are increasingly using, using apps for, for daily functions. And the great thing about Google Play is it's basically a toll gate on this usage. Every time you download one of these apps, Google benefits from this. In terms of the size of the opportunity, it is quite difficult to size, but Apple, which is a competitor to Google with Apple's App Store, they recently guided to revenue of about $50 billion by 2020. So I don't think it's inconceivable that over time, Google Play gets to a similar size. Yes, it doesn't have the ARPU of Apple's App Store, but it has a multiple of the number of users that the Apple Store has. You're right. And I think one of the, the key things about that is Apple sits in many developed countries with, uh, with high revenue or high earning, um, users. So really what the Google Play advantage here is one of volume so that they have a larger number of users downloading, um, the apps. And, uh, and that's really what's going to drive the sort of revenue growth going forward. And increasingly as emerging incomes rise, that, that also helps with the ARPUs. Super. Now, I know that, um, in the, in the article that you, uh, you, you've written for the correspondent, um, you talked about uh, a number of the, the moonshot projects. That's the highly ambitious projects that Al Alphabet has. And one of them is Waymo, the uh, self-driving cars that, um, seems to be further along and, and represents good opportunity. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on where it is and, and why this is such an audacious goal that could very much work out extremely well for them over the long term. Yeah, so I think a lot of us have heard of Tesla's autopilot function, Uber's self-driving plans, but Waymo has been growing rapidly and improving under the radar. So recently, the, well, the California Department of Motor Vehicles tracks the stats of these different projects. And over the last year, Waymo has driven about 30 times the number of miles that all its competitors that are registered in California have driven together. And at the same time, the rate of safety has been improving very rapidly. I think it was four times better this last year than the year before. I think the value in the opportunity is just the productivity that can be gained for society if we do get autonomous driving right over the long term. We all spend about an hour a day on our way to work and back and 
our time is focused on driving the car. Instead, we could be doing many more useful things like prepping for meetings or communicating with family. And I know people question, you know, when you see that revenue, but surely something which is able to provide this much of value to society over the long term at such a big scale has a business model that is monetizable. Um, and then together with that, not just the, it's not just about the productivity that you gain when not driving, but if we carpool as well, you save resources in terms of the number of cars you need to use. So I think there is opportunity long term from using our resources more efficiently. Um, and Google should be able to benefit from that over the long term. It is leading in, in terms of technology. Do you see, do you see Google selling this technology to the other car companies as opposed to just, um, and, and that, and that's a potential, obviously huge opportunity there. Yeah. From my reading, I would think that it makes a lot of sense to actually sell this as a platform instead of actually physically developing cars. I mean, there are a lot of companies out there who are very good at developing the mechanics around cars. Google is really good at data and analysis. And I think that's where they add value. And it's potentially a more attractive um, business model because you don't have that massive capex that has to go into developing um, the program. So, so, so now that we've talked about a couple of the businesses, one thing that um, is unique, and you've talked about uh, being unique about Google, is uh, culture. And uh, you know, P Peter Drucker famously said, uh, "Culture eats strategy for for breakfast." And how do you see Alphabet's um, culture? Um, you know, define it, and then more importantly, um, how do you see if at all it sets itself apart from from other companies globally, and maybe other companies um, in this particular, you know, in the tech space? I'd say there are probably three important facets of their culture which stand out to me. Firstly, it's the focus on first principles thinking, and I'll go into it a little more just now. Then it's the focus on 10x goals, and that's setting really ambitious goals for themselves. And finally, it's having these small entrepreneurial teams who are able to iterate quickly, develop products, and roll them out very quickly. And then just to go into a little bit of detail in terms of first principles thinking, the idea is that don't accept the status quo. Warren Buffett said a lot of companies have this tendency to become very bureaucratic as they grow and to not question how things are done. And I think that's what really sets Google apart. You can see it in some uh, some examples of things that they've done, the way they were IPO'd, how they've chosen to allocate budget to different projects. But I think it's really important in the tech space where change is so revolutionary that you don't limit yourself to what your competitors are doing or what you've seen in the past. You need to do things as best as you can. How do they continue to get that right? Because... Um, there's a fine line then between hubris and, um, and being responsible for the business you run. And, um, and, and tech companies have to walk that line very carefully because as you say, in the tech space, it is about revolutionary change. So, so how do you ensure that you guys are thinking first principles? They're bold enough to make very big decisions on what the future is going to look like. Um, and, you know, having done things that work really well right now? I think it's important to both invest for the long term, but also be cognizant of how successful your projects are going and whether they do make sense. And I think that 
culture of first principles thinking, it doesn't necessarily mean let's go after every fancy new thing we see. It's about thinking through the ideas. So Google talks a lot about having technical insights and using those to decide on which projects to focus on. So it's also about questioning. And it's not only questioning whether there's a new way to do something. It's also about questioning, do you continue on something that doesn't make sense? Um, I mean, I mean, one of the things that just probably leads me on, on to my, to my next question is that, uh, you, you've previously, you've already, um, referred to the revolutionary change. And I think it was Larry Page that says, you know, um, change uh, tends to be revolutionary, not ev uh, evolutionary in the, in the tech industry. And we know that. But that means it does have, it does present some challenges when you're trying to forecast out and model the investment case for these companies that are actually premised on revolutionary change. How do you go about doing that? How, how do you go about gaining comfort, um, on that valuation? Um, and, and also how do you go about, um, almost uh, gaining comfort around that assessment of the culture. You know, we know what a company tells us, but clearly in part of your valuation is believing the, the culture. Um, and, and how do you go about giving some comfort and, and assessing that? Just firstly, in terms of how you think about technology in the context of this revolutionary change, I think the first step is to assess what the current opportunities are and the businesses, um, competitive position within the current opportunity set. And then I think what's very important in the tech space is to understand whether the companies are investing for the long term so that when future opportunities arise and when the current opportunities become more mature, that they've already developed a strong position so that this ensures that there is growth longer term. So I think in Google's case, we know search margins are something like 50%, but the company's overall margins are below 30%. A lot of the difference is going towards planting the seeds today for the longer term opportunities. And then secondly, in terms of culture, I think you've got to gain comfort from using multiple sources. So it's reading articles on breakthroughs that companies have made. It's also maybe listening out um, to where people want to work. When I go to the West Coast, I have a friend who works in Silicon Valley and every now and then I do chat to him and ask him, you know, so, you know, where are the young, smart people going to work now? And, you know, five years ago it was Google and it's still Google today. And I think that gives you, gives you a sense of the culture. If it wasn't a great culture, you wouldn't have these smart people who have the world at their fingertips going to work there. Super. Um, any, any parting words, um, on, on, on Alphabet, uh, Google as a, as an investment opportunity for anybody listening out there? So I think with Google in terms of valuation, um, two important things to consider are that they convert a lot more of their earnings into free cash flow than the typical business. And also that they have an incredibly strong balance sheet. The last quarterly results, they had just under $100 billion of net cash. That's a lot of cash. And so if you look at the forward free cash flow multiple, if you exclude the net cash on the balance sheet, it's trading on about a 20.6 times forward multiple. And if you compare this to the MSCI world, which is trading at 20.9 times multiple, 
and which is growing at less than half the rate of Google, I think it's an incredibly attractive valuation prospect. Thank you very much uh, for coming to chat to me today, Humera. For a detailed review of the um, investment case for Alphabet, please take a look at the January edition of our quarterly newsletter, The Correspondent, which is available on our website or in our app on The Correspondent app, which can be found on Google Play or the Apple App Store. And thank you for listening in today. Uh, we look forward to hosting additional speakers over the course of the next few weeks. Uh, we've got Carl Leinberger, our CRO, and Peter Leisure, head of Frontier Markets, talking to us about the investment opportunities ahead in 2018.